0: Hey guys, just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to Sidebar Forever. If you like the show, please subscribe to us at SidebarForever.com, as well as share episodes of the podcast on your social media. That way, new listeners can find us as well. Today's episode is a review of the 2021 Warner Brothers film, Judas and the Black Messiah, Based on the last days and months in the life of Black Panther's leader, Chairman Fred Hampton, the film details his revolutionary mission to unite oppressed groups across the city of Chicago, the Black Panther Party's conflicts with the Chicago PD and ultimately the FBI, and Hampton's betrayal at the hands of undercover informant Bill O'Neill, played by Lakeith Stanfield. Daniel Kaluuya delivers an electrifying, Oscar-worthy performance as Hampton, and actors Dominique Fishback and Jesse Plemons are also great in supporting roles. On the podcast, we discuss the effort it took writer-director Shaka King and producer Ryan Coogler to get the blessing of Hampton's family for this project, as well as the filmmakers' attempts to stay true to real-life events while also staying true to their artistic vision and despite our quibbles with the narrative, how the film smartly weaves, cat and mouse thriller with government conspiracy, love story, and biopic sensibilities. Judas and the Black Messiah is in theaters right now and available for streaming on HBO Max. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party.
1: Repeat after me.
0: at 18 months for the stolen car
1: five years for impersonating a federal officer
0: or you can go home the black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color
1: their aim is to show hatred and inspire terror
0: I will learn all that I can. I will learn. these ain't no terrorists you can murder but you can't murder liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder.
1: Judas and the Black Messiah is a 2021 Warner Brothers feature film directed by Shaka King. Uh, It's written by Shaka and a guy named Will Burson. It's produced by Ryan Coogler of Creed and and Black Panther fame. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: The movie covers a specific period of time in the life of Chairman Fred Hampton of the Chicago-based Black Panthers, up to the point when he was murdered in his bed by the Chicago Police Department. Um, The film is set in the 1970s, and Daniel Kaluuya, Daniel Kaluuya stars as, uh, as Hampton. Dominic Fishback plays Deborah Johnson, uh, Fred's girlfriend, and the mother of his unborn son. And Lakeith Sanfield plays William Bill O'Neill, the Judas referenced in the title. Right. Uh, and this movie was released on uh, February 1st in theaters, and it's also available on HBO Max, probably for another two weeks or so you can watch it. But it's it's Black History Month, so here we are. Uh, <laughs> Not a perfect film, but definitely a very good one. Um, I think we had mixed reactions to it. Yeah, we uh, did. between Adrian and I. But what was your what was your what was your general first impression, man? After watching the uh, after, after watching
0: the movie, um, my general impression was that it definitely well, like any movie, it's, it's not going to be perfect. But there were some things that were kind of glaring as far as like an omission and mm-hmm. um, some things in the narrative that you know didn't really sit right with me. But um Kaluuya's performance is electric. I mean he really just embodied Hampton. yeah, you know what I'm saying. like I was um relaying to you like he even put on a bit of weight to get that that stocky build that um Fred Hampton had, you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. very noticeable, you know and like the spirit of Hampton was present. You know what I'm saying, like especially in the uh, scenes with the rallies and where he was, um, you know, giving his speeches and those um, sign- signature lines that we had always seen in like um, newsreel—well, not newsreels by then, but like you know, clips that you had seen, um, archival footage and whatnot. You know what I'm saying. Also, what was very remarkable too is um, Dominique Fishback's performance as Deborah Johnson. It's almost uncanny how much she also looked like the real Deborah Johnson back then. And if you look back in the um, footage, then, you know, in the uh, days following Hampton's murder, you know, and you see her relaying what happened during that night, you put both of them side by side, man. I mean, it's just, just utterly remarkable. And then also you got to give a lot of credit to Stanfield as well. Keith Stanfield Mm -hmm. uh, for playing uh, William O'Neill. You know, I, I thought those three principles were, were very good in those roles. And, and the supporting cast was also very good. But just, yeah, I was aside from that, just the narrative needed a, a bit more to kind of, you know, really make it a, a much more solid movie. And I'll, I'll, the last thing I'll say, too, is just Martin Sheen as Edgar J, J. Edgar Hoover. Nah. Nah. Yeah. Nah, nah, nah not not working. Mm mm. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah his his makeup and his prosthetics were questionable at best yeah uh laughable at worst <laughs> um and, and really the uh, the portrayal of i thought the portrayal of the chicago police department and the f b i was pretty like- like you mentioned like mustache twirling just kind of you know villainy one o one yeah and, and you know and, and I'm from Chicago I'm from the South side of Chicago so the Chicago Police Department is shit right I mean they're as cor- they're as corrupt as it as it comes but I do think that for the sake of the film, I mean they just sit they were just there to sh- to serve as a device and I think you know in terms of my own mixed reactions, you know um, I, I agree with you I thought I think this movie is best served by the performances and like you say the narratives the narrative maybe could have used uh could have used some work um Kaluya is just spellbinding as uh, as Fred Hampton and uh, Dominic Fishback brings a lot of heart and soul and a lot of perspective. They don't give her a ton to do. Yeah. but she brings a lot of perspective to her portrayal of uh Deborah Johnson in the movie. Um, especially the scene where she talks about, you know, you you as a part of this party, you can go out there and talk about giving your life I have a life growing within me. I can't think that way anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and uh, and so she has an, an extra responsibility, an extra, you know, burden to carry, if you will. You know, uh, being a mother, being an expect an expected mother. But um, and I think Lakeith Stanfield probably deserves more of the credit than anybody else because he has the hardest job to do. He has the most heavy lifting to do playing. The despised snitch, you know William Bill O'Neill.
0: Yeah, yeah. You
1: know Wild Bill. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. You know he has the most to do. You know you've got to, and the other thing is is as the movie is is being told by the filmmakers, you know you see maybe more of Bill O'Neill's life than you actually do of Hampton's life to some extent.
0: That's it's maybe... It... maybe fifty maybe fifty fifty. That's the other thing I was going to mention. I'm glad you brought that up. I really felt like um, it with, within the narrative, that's one thing that could have readily, readily, you know, been improved upon is showing much more of uh, of Hampton's life because there's a part towards the middle of the second act going into the third act where he obviously goes up up, up river, you know, to, to prison, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. to serve this bed and whatnot. And he's just kind of you know out of out of out of place so to speak, you know what I'm saying. And it gives a chance for the rest of the supporting cast to kind of you know come to the fore a bit. So I understand why that was, but also I felt like Hampton's uh, uh, not not his largesse that's the wrong word, but the the impact that he had you know could have been deepened if you showed more of his life. And I think. You, you know, kind of the thing with biopics and things like that is that we already know what the ending is going to be. So it's almost exor- exorable to you know, you're almost waiting in the back of your mind from the first minute of the film to this conclusion that you know is going to happen. Yeah. You know, and all you're waiting on is along the way is, okay, well, how are they going to make this compelling to say you know, if you think about someone who doesn't know who perhaps doesn't know the conclusion of this, who doesn't know what happened, like a younger viewer or somebody, you know, are they making this compelling to someone who knows what's going to happen in addition to those who don't, you know? And I think that's, that's the thing that could have been approved upon for sure. For sure. To
1: your point, I didn't know exactly how it was that, uh, that Hampton died. I knew he was shot, uh, by the Chicago police department, but I didn't know, you know, the circumstances and, you know, I didn't know anything about William O'Neill um, oh, wow. or that he was okay. actually killed in his bed, you know, like literally in front of his family and in front of his friends. So that part was a surprise to me. And uh, and it actually did hit me, you know, pretty hard. And then also, like you just mentioned, going back and listening to uh, Deborah Johnson and. Um, talk about i think her name is a cool nigeri now i think she changed her name
0: now yes. but i
1: uh, have listening to Deborah johnson back then you know weeks and months after this happened and talking and saying you know the, you know what happened and you know how they pulled out oh we got a pregnant sister in here and then you know made them face the wall and you know and she said and then the pig said oh this one he gonna make it and then you you know they shot him and then it's Man. like okay right you know now he's not yeah and it's just mm-hmm. like ah oh. but um you know, for anyone who, is, who is not, uh, has not seen the movie, uh, a brief synopsis is, is that uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character, uh, Bill O'Neill, is caught stealing a car and impersonating an FBI agent. And the real FBI makes a deal with him that if he infiltrates the Black Panther Party and gives them information that they'll, they'll let him off, they'll forgive uh, his crimes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as he starts to form bonds within the party, Um, you know, there's a bit of a, an inner conflict, uh, you know, for his character and then everything kind of starts to unravel, uh, as it does with any snitch who, you know, who goes undercover. And this film was, did you know this film was originally entitled Jesus was my homeboy? (laughs) What?
0: No, I didn't.
1: That's what, that was the original working title and then they they changed it to Judas and the Black Messiah. Thank God. <laughs>
0: for the better, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a reason
1: for that, you know, you know, if one were to dig deep, but but anyway, yeah, it was originally called uh, Jesus Was My Homeboy, but um and a little bit of background about the film uh and I and I'm, mm-hmm. I want to talk about this because, you know, this is a mo- this is a movie you know, uh, but, you know, we actually want to talk a little bit about, you know, because Adrian is is the is the resident historian on Sidebar Forever. <laughs> so We do want to talk about the, uh, you know, the his, the historical, you know, Fred Hampton and then, the you know, the Fred Hampton that is portrayed, you know, in the movie and the other characters, too. But this story was pitched by uh, the comedy duo, the Lucas Brothers. OK. Um, and the script was written by the director, Shaki King and Will Burson. Uh, King directed one other uh, feature called Newly Weeds, uh, and he's written and directed some stuff for television. Uh, but this is certainly his his biggest and most, uh, it's his biggest project to date. King and his collaborators drew influence for this movie from uh, other movies like Heat, mm. uh, Sorcerer. Uh, oh, the, really? Mm-hmm. They mentioned, uh, King mentioned Sorcerer, uh, The Departed, and uh, Friends of Eddie Coyle. Oh, yeah. That's a deep cut. Man. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very deep cut. And and when I first saw saw the movie, I remember I was telling uh, Dwight and Adrian that, you know, to me, it's like one part biopic, one part, you know, like crime thriller, cat and mouse kind of thing. One part, you know, government conspiracy and then and then really kind of one part love story, because you really do get to see a lot of the tenderness and a lot of the bonding between Fred's character. Or the character uh, uh, played by Daniel Kaluuya, Fred, and um, and his lady, uh, Deborah. Yeah. And Deborah. Yeah. But um, but what what of what you know you've mentioned a few things thus far, Adrian. Of what you know about the real Fred Hampton, other than his physical presence, mm-hmm. what are some other the other things that you noticed that they filmed got right, and maybe some things where you know they took artistic license and said, hey, we want to deviate from that.
0: Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that I I don't think the film expresses, you know, really explicitly is how young uh, Hampton was at the time. I mean, Hampton was, you know, essentially a a, a young man, a a kid, if you will. And that's not to demean him at all. But, you know, when you're one, that is the beginning of your life as a young adult. Mm -hmm. And here he was at that age, you know. Colluding these different, you know, um, 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 factions, if you will, you know, around the city of Chicago and the communities, you know, into like this rainbow coalition. So that part, I'm glad that they mentioned that, you know, because. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to, like you know, what the Panthers were doing out west in Oakland and in other chapters, you know, really focusing in on you know the Black Power struggle, you know, almost exclusively. And even though Bobby Seale had said, you know, we're not just talking about just Black people only; we're talking about the struggle for just equality with you know everybody. You know, Hampton really took it to that to that length, you know, there in Chicago, mm-hmm. you know. And I thought the film did a great job of showing him going around. To unite these these, these guys, these uh, factions, like I said, into one coalition. Um, so that, that, that was great. Um, the other thing, too, is about uh, O'Neill. Um, how he got kind of got caught up in that. Now, the, the thing that I noticed is, is that they did have to kind of uh, compress some things into certain scenes. Like the way O'Neill originally got caught, he stole a car... And he drove it across state lines and he got caught by the police. And then the FBI was like, oh, it looks like we got a live one here, right. you know, that can do something for us. You know what I'm saying? And that's how they, you know, initiated him to, you know, infiltrate, you know, the uh, party and get closer to um, to Fred, Fred Hampton, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I thought, you know, them compacting that, that that was good, you know, because you had to make that point immediately almost, you know, from the start. This is what O'Neill was doing. Um, the other thing that really uh, surprised me too was I had seen the documentary Eyes on a Prize, you know, several times over the years. And when you see when you see Stanfield <laughs> made up as O'Neill in the beginning with that blue background, I was like, oh, I, I, I gasped a little bit because I was like, Wait a minute, is that is that is that the footage or is that really Stanfield? It took me aback. I was yeah. like, Damn. Yeah. He really looks like O'Neill. Holy crap. So that part there, that really got me. And it, and it became more and it really went into relief when you see when they show the actual footage yeah. <laughs> of O'Neill at the end. And, and you're almost like, wait a minute, is this still the movie or is that the real footage? And it was like wow. They so so I think to anybody who wasn't uh, aware of that you know I could see them being really amazed that they really did a great job of capturing capturing that I mean to it yeah you know what I'm saying yeah yeah definitely and the other thing I wanted to say too was there were several under other instances where I did have to backtrack you know and see were these actual people that these things happened to like for instance um in the movie um there's a, a younger brother um, named Jake Winters, mm-hmm. the character Jake Winters um, he is very fervent he's enthusiastic for you know proving his worth um, to the party and he gets set off to do something, you know, once his friend dies in the hospital ostensibly at the hands of the Chicago PD yes. you know and, 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 yeah, he gets into a shootout with, um, with the police and everything and he's later killed but I thought that character might have been um taken from um bobby hutton uh, the real bobby hutton mm-hmm. uh who was with Eldritch cleaver back in i think 67 68 and they were caught by the oakland police and they had a shootout as well so i was thinking at first maybe they're trying to give a nod to that incident you know what i'm saying but jake winters actually was a real person so i was like oh okay 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 um And the shootout also where um, at party headquarters where they had a shootout with the uh, Chicago PD. Um, I thought that was taken from another shootout that happened in downtown Los Angeles in 69, where the uh, Black Panthers had a um, had a shootout with the cops then like in real life. But come to find out there actually was a shootout in Chicago at that time with the Panthers and the police department around the time that the movie is set. So it's great that they did that homework and it wasn't just necessarily trying to take other instances from, quote unquote, Panther lore right. and use that to kind of fill in the gaps here. You know what I'm saying? They did their homework to find out, no, this is kind of what happened. Now, we just have to find a way to uh, dramatize it and put it on screen here. Yeah, so.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I remember that, and uh, I remember thinking the same thing. Well, did this actually happen? And with a lot of uh, biopics or period films, you know, where they're telling you know about real life instances, a lot of times they will take multiple characters and kind of compress them into one, right, for for the sake mm-hmm. of, of storytelling and for you know to make the film move in a different way than real life did and, and than a novel did or anything else anything else like that. Um, so I was kind of wondering, too, if a lot of those people, a lot of those characters were real and, and, and how accurate they were. But but uh, to your point, um, both Shaka King and uh, Ryan Coogler, the producer, uh, they say that the family turned down many, many, many lucrative opportunities to have a Fred Hampton movie be made. Hmm. Um, really? And, you know, once uh, Shaka you know, met with the Lucas brothers and they pitched him this idea. And then he, you know, had become friends with Ryan Coogler. I think at Sundance or something. They met at Sundance. And, uh, and then he brought Coogler on and they got financing, et cetera. You know, they approached the family. Um, and I guess you could make a movie about it anyway, because, you know, he's a, he's a historical figure, but I mean, he's a, he's a public figure. Mm -hmm. Um, but they approached the family, uh, uh, Akua, you know, formerly Deborah Johnson and Fred Jr., Chairman Jr., as he's known, mm-hmm. on and um, on, on multiple occasions to try to get you know get their blessings to make the film, and they turned them down. It took them almost like a year, I think, um, of going back and forth, and you know, and bringing them you know ideas, and this is who we'd like to cast, or this is who we've cast, and this da 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 da, you know, to get that to get their blessings, and uh, mm-hmm. and then Chairman Jr. Uh, you know, once they did get their blessings, you know, he, he was constantly giving notes, harsh opinions on how things were portrayed, how the Panthers were portrayed, the way they dressed, the way they carried themselves, how much smoking they did in terms of cigarettes, etc.,
0: <laughs>
1: um, you know, about how they were portrayed, cool uh, with the same way. They even at one point demanded, uh, not demanded, but they even at one point requested uh, to meet Daniel Kaluuya and, and Dominique Fishback beforehand and and that actually happened Mm. you know they they brought them to chicago they met at the quote hampton house um and uh you know and they they talked to him and said you know you know this you know and let basically you know aired their grievances with you know with previous attempts and previous um you know requests to get them to be involved in the film and fred jr took daniel kaluuya out in the hood on the south side of chicago like 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 after midnight you know Oh, and uh, wait a minute! And it was on a weekend where uh, uh, a week where like the previous weekend, you know, something like a dozen people had been shot. Pop, pop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so uh, so it's real. But you know, Daniel Kaluuya said you know he met with them and he said he was fine with it. He said he let them know, look, I'm not from Hollywood. I'm not from you know. I'm from the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and he told them a little bit about his life, and and they really liked him. So it ended up working out, and oddly enough, a lot of this movie was shot in Ohio. I'm not sure if if, if much, if any of it was actually shot in Chicago, to be honest.
0: Uh, well, the locales look very authentic, you know, but obviously, to a to your eye, as a as a local, as a native, you would be like, mm, yeah, mm, close enough. You know, like yeah, like
1: there was there's there's some specific Chicago-ness that I did not see in the movie, but I mean, it felt close enough, and it certainly didn't didn't you know it didn't bring me out of the. Uh, the movie uh to, to pick that up. But yeah, I think they shot a good bit of it in uh in Ohio, maybe in Cleveland or uh, or somewhere like that. And and maybe for reasons that, you know, the Chicago, you know, the local municipality and you know they might have been like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> nah, you, <yeah.
0: laughs> you know,
1: we're in the middle of BLM and, and protesting and, you know, uh
0: and just general just
1: yeah, we, 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 we have enough enough on our plate right now without, you know, you know, having this you know, having to deal with this uh, this as well, but um mm-hmm. but um what did you think of uh the directing style of the film? Because you know, Shaka King doesn't have a long you know, a long history as a director, but I thought a lot of the shots were very stylish and photographed beautifully. Yeah. I thought there was plenty of drama. I thought some of the you know, a lot of the camera movements worked really well and I thought that they were, you know, there were a lot of points. I think a lot of the choices that he made as a director really brought a lot of uh, uh, drama to certain scenes. And and I I think I knew before watching the movie. I think I had read that he was, you know, a relatively new you know uh, feature
0: film director. But what do you think about the,
1: the the direction and the art the art the art style of the film?
0: Oh man, I I tell you what I tell you what man. Um, from the opening frames, like that first scene, that shot at night, just oof. I was like, oh man, they 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 getting it. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I was like, oh man, they are getting this period right here. Mm-hmm. The cars, the dress, um, uh, just everything. That that late night, just ooh. I was like, yeah, that's spot on. I'm I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that, man. You know. But before that, I think the film opens with, uh, <laughs> with J. Edgar Hoover kind of addressing like the cadre of ages. And that felt so like yeah. 1984 Big Brother. I was like, nah, mm, <laughs> no, Yeah. Nah, nah. Yeah. nah, yeah. nah. Yeah, that wasn't the way you wanted it to go, <laughs> go yo. <laughs> exactly. I was like, okay, okay. That aside, I mean, it opened. Very, very strongly, man. And the other thing, too, that has to be given credit to is you can tell when it's a black director and possibly I I don't know if the DP, the uh, director of photography, was a brother or sister or black as well. But the way that the the black people were photographed, especially at night, there's an art to that. There really is, you know, and even and even in daylight, believe it or not. You know what I'm saying? It's a it's an art to photographing, you know, black skin tones. And I thought they nailed that tremendously. Yeah. Perfectly. Oh, it was so great. So great. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, I thought
1: so too, man. I thought so too. Yeah, uh, black and brown skin or brown skin, um, there really is an art to it. The uh, the fellow who's the director, uh, he's a Japanese fellow, I believe, uh, who directs the show Atlanta that Lakeith Stanfield is on,
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. that
1: director does a good job with it, and uh, a lot of the directors and the cinematographers on uh, Easter H- uh, HBO Show Insecure, they do a, an amazing job of, uh, of photographing black characters and black characters of all hues, you know, fair skin, brown skin uh, characters, uh, darker complected characters, you know, characters with you know with natural hair, with you know, I mean, they they capture it all really beautifully. So uh, yeah, I would agree with you, and like you said, the uh, that opening scene which, you know, reminds you of, you know, we, we mentioned some of the influences that uh, the filmmakers drew from reminded you of that kind of uh, Scorsese, Goodfellas style, mm-hmm. you know, you know mm-hmm. shooting things from outside of a bar. And, you know, once you go inside, there's going to be trouble. Um, and, uh, you know, all of that. I, th- I thought that was, uh, yeah, like you said, that whole opening sequence was great. And the first time that you see Daniel Kaluuya as uh, chairman, um, you know, he makes the speech mm-hmm. and, um, and that's the first time that he actually meets, uh, Deborah Johnson. Um, you know, that was great too. Hampton, uh, Hampton, Daniel kaluuyas it's not an impression of Fred Hampton, but it's definitely, you know, him trying to embody that and trying to be, uh, a Chicago guy. Cause I, I told you, there are a lot of guys I know from Chicago in my father's generation. They sounded just like that.
0: Oh, that cadence. He he nailed the cadence. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They sound they sounded just like that. And he was dead on. You know, and most actors will say that they're trying to, you know, they want to get the body language. They want to get the sound of the voice if they can. But they don't want it to be an impression or to be an imitation. They want, you know, they want to bring something to it and make it make it a a third thing separate unto itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that uh, I think he did that. What did you think of Jesse Plemons portrayal of Roy Mitchell because we talked about a little bit on the phone, Edgar Hoover is definitely like the dastardly villain.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, as as he probably was in real life, to be honest. Um, Yeah. But Jesse Plemons as Roy Mitchell is much, you know, he's much more laid back. He's much quieter. Uh, He's his, him initiating and bringing, you know, bringing Bill O'Neill in to become you know this undercover snitch Mm
0: -hmm. it
1: was almost more of a seduction than it was Mm. you know him using leverage against um against o'neill he would actually go back and forth between the two but his style was more like hey look you know almost like you know if you do this well enough maybe we'll make you a member of the fbi or some shit you know it was almost like that
0: yeah yeah and you know even um Even when uh, O'Neill, well, Stanfield as O'Neal was relating, you know, um, later in the film, he was saying, you know, it was kind of almost like, you know, we didn't have a lot of role models back then. You know, so I kind of looked at him as kind of like a role model. And especially when Mitchell, you know, invites O'Neill out to his house and he kind of sees how, you know, Mitchell is living, you know, with the with the family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has a nice, nice living, living quarters. You Make know. yourself
1: a drink. Here's the good scotch, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, relating to Clemens um, as um, playing Roy Mitchell, you know, I, I kind of agree as well with your assessment of it being a seduction almost. And the the closest thing that I also related to it was like, you know, the uh, movie Deep Cover, you know, um, where Charles Martin Smith played, you know, the uh, FBI liaison to um, Larry Fishburne, well, Lawrence Fishburne's, Mm -hmm. you know, um, agent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in Deep Cover, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, he would give him almost like, tidbits to keep him going like anytime fishburn would come back and say no nah, man i'm out i'm out I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore i can't take it you know martin smith would kind of be like you know have you ever seen a crack baby have you ever done this yeah. you know this is why you're doing this and that's the sense that i got with uh, mitchell because mitchell uses two instances of this same Type of logic with uh, O'Neal. One is where he makes the correlation <laughs> uh, wholly unjustly of like you know the Panthers and the Klan. They're almost one in the same. Right. They both want to sow hatred and this and that. You already see how they do. You saw how they treated you know one guy that they found out supposedly was a snitch already. So what do you think they're gonna do to you? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And the and the other thing that gives you that. Almost, almost says, almost makes him a sympathetic, you know, character. Almost is Mitchell actually was one of the agents who was investigating the three murdered civil rights workers um, down in Mississippi Mm -hmm. back in 1964. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a real thing. You know, he brings that up actually in the movie, in the script, you know, and he says, you know. When I, when when we found those two kids, man, they the clan had already done this and that to him and everything, you know. So you see, so you see, Bill, the clan and the Panthers, they're one and the same. Yeah. And you're gonna help us take them down. That type of thing where yeah, it was seducting him with like, you know, almost like this horse and carrot. You know, like you keep doing this, yeah. You can have almost what I have. You might be an agent too, but also you would be doing some good you know, for your community by taking out this supposed threat of these Panthers. Right. So I thought, I thought Plemons did a good job of kind of riding that line. You know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't necessarily, you know, uh, mustache twirling, like, you know, how Martin Sheen was <laughs> yeah. as Hoover. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I thought the other thing too, where the scene where um, uh, Fred Hampton has just come home, you know, from doing his bed and he's, you know, doing his I am a revolutionary speech. Right. And in the crowd, we spy Roy Mitchell, there undercover. You know what I'm saying? And just the way they shot him, they made him look so creepy. Just ah, ah. I was like, ah, just ugh. and, you know, I thought if O'Neal had actually noticed him there in the crowd, because it wasn't it wasn't entirely clear, did O'Neal notice him at first or if he did at all? But I thought if O'Neal would have been, you know, with his fist raised and sloganeering, you know, with Hampton, if he had just kind of spied Mitchell in the crowd, and Mitchell just kind of stand there like, remember, <laughs> remember what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, we here. Yeah. remember what you're supposed to be doing, bro <laughs> And Mitchell Mitchell even
1: tells he even tells him after the uh, after the fact, he's like, "Yeah, hey, I saw you there. You believed him. You 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 you, you were getting it. You were you were into it. I saw you raising
0: your fist. Yeah, you no, no, it, no, bro? no, no. Don't act like you wasn't." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's why I just feel like if Odell, you know, had just kind of been like, "Oh, oh shit, you you were there. You know that type of thing. Like we got a long reach, bro. Yeah, long reach. Yeah." One of the uh, the
1: things you brought up and I thought it was, it was a fair point uh, in, in terms of the narrative needing some strengthening was why the FBI and why Hoover was so dead set on nailing this twenty twenty one year old kid on the South side of Chicago. Yeah. Who's, you know, it's a different chapter than even the Oakland chapter in terms of its, yeah. you know, in terms of its life. But, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, you know, when Hampton, Hampton was associated with the Panthers, but he didn't join until later. They actually approached him and asked him to join because he was a part of other organizations. I think it was part of a religious organization That's right. That was, yeah. that was involved in civil rights. And when he joined the Panthers, I mean, their membership grew into the thousands within months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and the other thing that Adrian mentioned earlier about the Rainbow Coalition, and it's, it's shown in the film, but I think it could have been undercut uh not undercut but it could have been uh, buttressed had they uh, gone back and said so he he you know he was you know they had a uh, breakfast program that was feeding you know hundreds and thousands of black children breakfast every every week
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know he was trying to galvanize you know black people around what the the black panthers were doing and he was you know he was a teacher and he was a mentor to you know to those who were new to the uh to the chapter But he was also trying to galvanize, uh, you know, a lot of the poor whites in the city of Chicago who had come from the South, who were also being mistreated and being uh, uh, shit on by the local Chicago Police Department and the Latin community. Right. So now you see these, you know, seemingly disparate, you know, sections and groups of people working together. That was a threat. Mm -hmm. That was a real
0: threat. I don't know if there's more to it than, than that that you wanted to share, but um yeah yeah you know and and the other thing too is that you know he was also trying to wear and, and they showed it in in the film and I, I guess for reasons that you know they they had to themselves um that they couldn't uh identify them as you know the actual gang that day that they were trying to recruit which were the Peace stone rangers mm-hmm. and i think they were led by jeff fort if i'm not mistaken okay you know and yeah, and Jeff Fort wielded some serious, serious influence, and I think they showed that into the main uh, gang leader. You know that he was, you know, communicating with.
1: Now you're talking. About, are you talking about the Crowns?
0: Thank, thank you. Yeah, I was trying the, to remember the name. Yeah, of and then the, and the, the leader's name was Steel. Steel. That's He's, it. That's uh, it. he said. Yeah, yeah.
1: Ooh, this nigga got some words on him, don't he? <laughs> <laughs> You know, that was yeah, yeah that was something else that you brought up. Like, I don't think, other than amongst themselves, you never
0: hear any of the white characters use the N-word in the movie, ever. Yeah, and you know, and that... How can I put this? It was glaring because, on one hand, it could be the overuse of it could almost be a, a stereotype, could almost be like, well, they're supposed to say that, but... No epithets. No epithets were ever used. No, no, like you know, innuendos of like you know whatever you want to say were used. Anything like that. It. I, I kind of felt in that way. That's not how that would have gone down, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like if if the agents were amongst Hoover and amongst themselves, I'm sure they would have used more derogatory terms than that. You know what I'm saying? Just in the casualness of being amongst their own and talking about, you know, this case or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that that part was glaring. But I I guess because they really didn't want that to veer too much into that territory, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, and and plus, had they done that, it would not have made Roy Mitchell's character... It would have made him lose any shred of um, sympathy or empathy, rather. Um, that the audience may have had right you know because once he utters those type of words then kind of the other thing about him talking about well you know i was down there in mississippi in 64 solving the case of the murdered civil rights workers that goes out the window yeah you know saying so he can't say that he can't you know but hoover and this other agent they probably could have you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I noticed that as well.
1: Yeah, I I thought when you pointed it out, I thought about it after afterwards, and I suspect it was uh, an artistic choice by the the director as a filmmaker, and mm-hmm. also too, I think to add that on top of everything else would have made the FBI and the Chicago Police Department look even more cartoonish as as examples of the you know the antagonists or the villains. In the movie, I guess O'Neill is technically the antagonist, but you know they were definitely the big bads, um, and were pulling you know pulling the trigger behind the scenes and pulling the strings, uh, you know so to speak as far as he was concerned. But I I did, once when you pointed that out, I thought about it and I said, well maybe that was something that was, it was a choice that was made, and I don't think the movie is lesser without it. Well, no, no, but I no. do think that like you said, it was glaring that okay, hmm, like. Hmm. You know,
0: they—they uh, they didn't say that. Even given the time. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And also too, uh, Jesse Plemons character, Roy Mitchell. You know, you do spend a good amount of time with him, with O'Neill, him with Hoover, and so you have to kind of, in order for us to not emotionally or psychologically just shut him down. You have to kind of be on his side. He's being manipulated by his bosses and his superiors. And he doesn't necessarily want to do the things that they're asking him to do. And you have to kind of believe he has a little bit of that in him. Right. Right. So I would uh, I would agree with you. Uh, I would definitely agree with you there. You were talking about the uh, the footage of uh, of Lakeith Stanfield as uh, as William O'Neill in the beginning of the film and then the footage of the real O'Neill. Uh, being interviewed later on uh for the uh for eyes on the prize eyes on the prize
0: yeah mm-hmm. for
1: anyone who doesn't know so William O'Neill who is the snitch that infiltrated and ultimately gave the police the information they needed you know to kill Fred Hampton
0: mm-hmm.
1: he committed suicide in 1990.
0: yeah that I did not know so when they showed that bit I, I did I I didn't know where it happened to O'Neill after.
1: Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So the the interview was recorded in 1989. He killed himself in 1990. He actually ran out into traffic and was hit by a car. Whoa, really? And yeah, and that's how and that's how he did it. And his wife at the time said it was an accident, but the police ruled it oh. as a uh, as a suicide because he had been he had been drinking and I think he had threatened to jump out of a second story window or something, you know, maybe the day before, days before. So he was definitely distraught. Mm-hmm. And and one would have to imagine that, you know, in light of all of this, you know, he, he was truly a, a, a terrible human being, but he was used. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was used and part of him probably liked the idea of, of, you know, I mean, he was already imitating an FBI agent to to steal cars. Yeah. So maybe part of him, you know, was was a little bit you know, elated at the idea of being associated with the FBI. And maybe there is something for me. He even says in the, uh, in the interrogation room, when he first meets the Roy Mitchell character and Roy Mitchell presents him with the deal to, to infiltrate the black Panthers, he says, why, why were you imitating an FBI agent? He said, because, you know, any nigga in the hood can get a gun and and take a car. He says, but you know, if you have a badge, you know, now you're unique. Now you're in, you know, you're in a in a in a specific and unique place that not a lot of black black men are, and you can get anything. You know, you have an army behind you if you have a badge.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. um uh,
1: and I think you know he said you know that was that was something he always he always kind of wanted to be, but um, I was gonna mention, man, as far as you know flaws in the movie. Um, hmm. While I really like the film, and I definitely recommend anyone to see it. It is v- it is very. Pro Black Panthers, mm-hmm. um, it does tell the story from their perspective, and it paints them in a, in a in a much more favorable light than um you know than than a lot of a uh, history does, and that doesn't mean that they're right and that history is wrong or history is right and that they're wrong. Um, as mentioned earlier, the Chicago PD and the FBI are definitely played strictly as villains, and and not that they weren't, because they fucking were <laughs> right. but i do know that myself you know having been a part of group situations and teams you know i do know enough to know that you know not everybody in the group has you know the best intentions and is out to do the right thing and there were members of the black panther party who were oh you know pretty fucking villainous themselves you know
0: absolutely
1: Um, yeah so that's that's reality but considering the conditions that a lot of those people You know, those folks were living under and their relationship with the cops and law enforcement and their positions in society. One cannot not expect that that kind of attitude is going to rise, you know, rise up out of uh, out of these folks. The other thing Mm -hmm. that I kind of took a little bit of issue with was Dominique Fishback's performance as Deborah Johnson is terrific. Um, You know, Deborah Johnson was a poet and I understand from listening to an uh, an interview with uh, Akua Najeri, the formerly Deborah Johnson, you know she said that you know that meeting that they had at the uh, after Fred's speech, she said I did ask him if he liked poetry and he kind of like eh, yeah whatever, and she said she didn't tell him anything about the poetry. Oh, she said she, she just she just tucked it away and just kept on going and just you know just you know she didn't she didn't share her poems with him or anything like that. That was that was another artistic choice that the uh, the filmmakers and the, the, the screenwriters made. Um, you know, to 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 create a certain situation between uh, Daniel and, uh, and Dominique. But the other thing I'm kind of tired of seeing, man, and, you know, is the the soulful good woman who stands behind her even greater man.
0: Mm-hmm. It's just kind of played, man. Well, do you feel like? Let me ask you this, because you know there have been instances, obviously, and and I'll say not not just exclusively with black um, biopics, but this has been an issue before. You know, it's just, it's no different than like when um, Spike Lee was trying to get Malcolm X made back in 91, ninety one ninety ninety one ninety two. And he had to go see Betty Shabazz several times, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of him writing the screenplay. And she, he said that she like cussed him out because how dare you, you know, put this instance in there. This didn't happen like that, or whatever, you know, what, whatever issues that she had with it. Right. And I could probably see something like that here just because the, in the instance they're in control of the narrative now. You know what I'm saying? Like you're doing a movie in which. I'm still alive, you know, and I was an active participant in these events, Right. so I kind of do have control as far as, like, how you're going to portray me, you know, and you see, like, the wives of of these activists, you know, whether it be King, uh, Malcolm, Hampton, whomever, yeah, it's the same thing. They're kind of, like, you know, uh, off to the side a bit, but, yeah, they are steadfast in their devotion to not only um their husbands or their significant other, but also what he represents. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So by by extension, they're married to the movement, you know, literally, so to speak. But yeah, you see that all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And
1: and even in other films, you know, that film First Man that came out uh, with the... Oh, with the astronaut. Yeah, yeah. directed by J- Damien Chazelle with uh, Ryan Gosling, and I forget the uh, woman who... Again, see now, I, I forget the actor who plays his, his wife. But, you know, this kind of supporting the man... But, I mean, if you're going back in history, you know, certainly there were, there were you know, there were limits on what, you know, people of color could do. There were limits on what women could do. Mm-hmm. And so, to some extent, a woman's... You know, even though women were integral to the civil rights movement and were integral you know to the changes uh you know that 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 went on you know from the 60s to the you know into the early 70s this period that we're kind of discussing um you know back in those days a woman's power and her place in society was kind of ersatz to her husband to some extent or to her man or or you know what have you at least you know that's you know, that's that's what we see and that's what we see that has been how it's been portrayed. Um
0: Yeah, you know so. one other thing that while you're talking about um issues that we may have, um, the other issue that I kinda have is um the 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 ending and the depiction of the uh of the uh of the uh killing. Mm-hmm. You know. That now, based on what um Deborah Johnson, you know, said at the time mm-hmm you know, in the archival footage. I, I remember when it got to that part, you know, and I also remember what um, O'Neill had said as well. Like he broke it down on that Eyes on a Prize um, interview that he gave. He explicitly said, this is what I did. Um, they gave me $300 for it total. That was a bonus, you know, for, you know, making sure that they had a key to, you know, the place. Um, I drew out the uh, floor plans, all of that, you know, and I wish they would have been a bit more clearer, not necessarily explicit, you know, in terms of the, the, um, the shooting itself, mm-hmm. you know, we don't need to see the gore and everything, but I did feel like it wasn't exactly clear how, how it transpired, you know, according to just this film, you know what I'm saying? Now there are the touchstones that were very accurate. Yes, they did come into the house um, and they got up to the floor Uh, where Hampton's bedroom was, and they were outside the door, and they shot into, into the bedroom. Like, there were 90, over 90-something shots, you know, fired by the Chicago PD into that bedroom. Only one fired out. And I did not see if any of the um, Panthers in the film shot back. Like, who was that one shot? And one of those shots, I believe, came from um, Mark Clark, who was the the young brother who got shot through the door. Um, or or somebody He was else. killed.
1: He was the only other person who was killed, right? Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. Like there was one shot that was um, shot back, you know, to the uh, Chicago PD. You know what I'm saying? And they didn't show that, you know. And then also, um, it was related. Um, Deborah related that you know she could feel you know um, the mattress you know shaking because the bullets were coming in and they were hitting. They were hitting, you know, Hampton. You know what I'm saying? So I think in the film she rolled over on top of him to protect him. But I I, I, I wasn't sure if that's how it how it happened because otherwise, how would she feel the, the bullets coming in and hitting the mattress and hitting him? You know, if she's on top protecting him, you know. So the depiction of it was like, eh, that could have been a bit more um a bit more accurately staged. Mm-hmm. So the clarity of it was a bit better. But as far as the touchstones, like the key dialogue that she mentions, of, yeah. hey, we got a broad here. I, I, I was, I was like, okay, they nailed that. Um, and then they also nailed the part about, hey, I think he's gonna make it. Bam. Nah, now he's not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and the way that they showed uh, Fishback's face, a close up on her, it's almost like a split diopter shot. Yes, it if was. You will. It was. Yeah. Oh, it was. No, 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 oh, okay. no, no. I mean, it, okay. it felt that way to me too, where I was like is this old school? Or is this, you know, cause you'll never see that technique being done anymore. Yeah. And that part was very effective because then it relates to that's how, um, in the weeks after and years later, she's able to recount exactly what they said because she heard it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I thought that, that particular shot was well staged right there. You know, um, and then I was I was hoping a bit after that, you know, that in the aftermath of that, we would have had maybe just a, a, a another scene or so before they, you know, cut the present day of like, you know, maybe O'Neill really having regrets about this. And when he went when he went to go meet Mitchell, you know, and get the bonus, they kind of did that. I wish they would have emphasized like how much money it was. It was just three hundred dollars to betray this activist who was doing so much positive work for the community yeah. and possibly could have been a great bastion for humanity within this country and perhaps the world we just will never know yeah. but for 300 bucks 300 you portray, you, you betrayed you portrayed this man this young man you know i wish more emphasis would have been placed on that as well and his fallout from that you know I
1: mean? So Adrian, it was actually three hundred dollars?
0: It was three hundred dollars and O'Neill said and that was a bonus. It was it was a bonus for, you know, supplying the floor plans, um getting the uh the uh duplicate key made and everything. That was his bonus, yeah. three hundred dollars.
1: And O'Neill, I think, denied that he drugged Hampton.
0: Yeah, that yeah.
1: Although, you know, it is you know, it's widely understood that that he did. But, you know, $300, what is that, 10 times what Judas got for uh, for betraying Jesus? 30, 30, 30 pieces of gold or whatever, so.
0: Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah, you're right.
1: You're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, interesting if that's an accurate accurate number. Um, a bit of trivia before we before we wrap it up, man. This had been, you know, like I said, the Lucas Brothers and, and other people had been trying to make and trying to get a uh, Fred Hampton film made. And my understanding is is that you know the Lucas brothers and King were doing their thing. One of them, maybe the Lucas brothers, were friends or friendly with Will Burson, and they knew that he had a script. And then when they got with Will Burson, they took Will Burson's script, and then he and uh, Shaka King just rewrote it. And they, you know, he wrote another draft, and then Burson wrote a draft, and then he wrote a draft, and they wrote another draft, and that's how they got to the uh, the final script, uh, shooting script for the for the movie. But uh, okay. Will Burson's original script idea um, had been uh, had been pitched and uh, was in the early stages of production with F. Gary Gray.
0: Ooh! Which, wow! Which would have
1: been interesting. Ooh. Very interesting. Which would have Oof. been interesting uh, with with Gary F. Gary Gray to direct and um, Casey Affleck was supposed to be in the movie. I guess he was going to be playing Roy Mitchell. Okay. Oh. Um, but yeah. supposedly.
0: No, <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's F.
1: Gary Gray now, so you gotta you gotta keep that in mind. Yes, yes. He was thinking of either casting O'Shea Jackson Jr. as Hampton. Go ahead. Or Jaden Smith.
0: Oh hell no! Are you fucking kidding me? What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> now see, now see, but but you know the crazy thing about that is. What? had he cast them just inexplicably for those roles (laughs) the the original title would have fit like (laughs) like just (laughs) cause everything else is bullshit you might as well go with that bullshit ass title too that's ridiculous Jesus is my homeboy oh man that's crazy Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson.